It's a blessed morning. It's a great morning outside, but not only that, it's, it's a great morning because today's the Lord's Day. It's a day where we come together and give our Father praise, and what a great day it is to be able to, to, be able to do that and return to Him our praise and our thanks and glory unto Him because He saved us from, from our sins so that we could be his, uh, part of His kingdom and make it to heaven one day. A question I have for you this morning is, have you ever been in a situation or maybe done something to, and maybe it was either a task or a job, and then after you do that task or that job that you've been asked to do, all to find out that after you do that, you feel good about it, but yet the person who asked you to do that didn't think that it was good enough or didn't meet that person's expectations. And so therefore maybe they have to do it themselves or you have to do it over according to, to their expectations. For example, there, on occasion at times, uh, Melissa will ask me to, do, uh, to maybe clean maybe a certain room in the house. So I'll get up there and I'll, I'll start straightening things up and picking things up and vacuuming and usually I'll give a report, I've done this and that. Sometimes you say, well, did you dust? Well, in my mind, I've, I've done a good job. I, I did what I was asked to do, but yet in her mind, it didn't meet her expectations, and rightfully so. Well, this same principle can be seen in religion because there are people in this world who do profess their faith in the Lord and would claim to be following God's commands, but it does not necessarily mean that they are following God's commands according to God's expectations of what he requires. And I want to talk about this concept a little bit this morning as we look to a, a section of King Saul's life over in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I'm going to spend my entire time in this chapter as we talk about this particular time in King Saul's life. And what I want to do, uh, let's begin reading at verse, verse number 1, and we'll read on down to verse number 3. And it says there, Samuel uh, also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt, and now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that he had, uh, all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And so we see from the outset of this chapter here that we find Samuel, he has this message for King Saul, and this message is simply to go and you lead a battle against the Amalekites. And when you go and lead a battle against the Amalekites, you are to utterly destroy these people. Get rid of every single one of them. But not only that, don't get rid of every single person. But in addition to that, get rid of all the livestock too. Utterly, utterly destroy all of the Amalekites. Well, why in the world would the Lord have this judgment or this punishment upon the Amalekites. What had the Amalekites done to deserve this kind of judgment for the Lord? Well, hundreds of years previous to this, to this command, the Lord actually talked to Noah 
or not Noah, but also but Moses about this kind of judgment to Amalek because of what it says in Exodus chapter 17. And we'll read there beginning in verse 14 where it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the, in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Well, this still doesn't tell us what they had done, even though we do find out that the Lord had promised long, long ago that he would do this to the Amalekites. But we find now in Deuteronomy chapter 25 of what they actually had done. Because it says, beginning in verse number 17, it says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. So what did they do? Well, this is what they did. How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks. All the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary and did not fear God. And so we see that the reason why the Lord wants to bring this punishment upon the Amalekites is because when the nation of Israel, God's people, were coming out of Egypt, that was around the time that these people, he said they were weary, they were tired. And so they were making their way out of Egyptian slavery. But Amalek, with his troops, they came along and they attacked the rear ranks. They attacked the most vulnerable, the weakest part of Israel. And God was mad at them at Amalek and what he had done, and therefore he's going to bring this punishment upon these people. And so, due to Samuel's instructions, Samuel, or Saul, he, he goes and he, prayer, he prepares, and now he goes into battle against the Amalekites. And we pick up now in verse number 4 of chapter 15, where it says, So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telem, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Now, <coughs> when one first reads this, you might be thinking, well, Saul, Saul did what was instructed for him to do. He went into battle. He killed those Amalekites. He destroyed some of those, uh, uh, he destroyed some, uh, some of those livestock. But, but when you get to looking at what exactly he had done, we find that Samuel did not do exactly what had been commanded of him. Now, what had Saul done? What had Saul done? Well, Saul attacked the Amalekites, and this was good because it was in obedience to what the Lord had, had commanded from the prophet Samuel. But Saul kept King Agag, uh, Agag alive. He had kept, he had kept him alive, but had utterly destroyed the others. Now, here's the question. Is this what God had commanded? 
Well, the answer is no. This is not what God had commanded because God said destroy all of the Amalekites. Don't take anyone alive. But in addition to that, they kept all the good livestock alive and then they destroyed everything else. Now, is that what God had commanded? Well, no, that's not what God had commanded because God said you destroy all of the livestock too. And so now... In normal battle back then, it was, uh, armies were free to take whatever plunder or goods from their victory in the battle because as they went into battle back then, that was the victory that they had over their foe. And so why was it wrong for Israel to take the goods of their battle against the Amalekites? Well, simply it was wrong because God had commanded them not to do it. But they did it anyway. That's why it was wrong. And so Israel took the best home with them, and I'm sure they felt pretty good in their battle and what they had obtained. <clears throat> but this was perhaps the worst of all, because Israel was not reflecting God's heart in his judgment upon these Amalekites. When they came home happy and excited about having this victory and obtaining the best of the livestock, they dishonored God in his judgment upon this nation. Because you remember, God wanted them all wiped out. That was his punishment upon these people and they had not carried that through Saul and his men had partially obeyed God's command to destroy the Amalekites and in God's eyes partial obedience to his commands is complete disobedience because you're not doing what he says for you to do Saul and his men obeyed God only as much as what had suited them and left the other things undone. And through Saul's act, he made a very costly mistake. So what was that mistake? Well, we're now going to see this reaction to what Saul had done. And I'm not going to read these verses, but I'm just going to summarize what is said here in verses 10 through 15. The Lord spoke to, <clears throat> to the prophet Samuel and stated that Really, he had regretted him making Saul king over his people because, again, he had not done what had been commanded of him. And after this message is given to Samuel, Samuel goes and he makes his way over to Saul. And the scene now is turned to Saul. And we find Saul, he's rejoicing in what he had done. He's so glad in what he had done. In fact, he truly thinks he had done the commandment of the Lord. In fact, he went as far as even uh, making a monument for himself because he was so proud in what he had done. In fact, when Samuel comes onto the scene, Saul told Samuel, see, we've done the commandment of the Lord. We've done just what you've asked for us to do. Now, this is amazing to me because Samuel replies back and he says, well, if you have done all that has been commanded of you by the Lord, why do I hear sheep? Why do I hear oxen? I shouldn't hear any of that if you guys hadn't really done what God had commanded you. And that's amazing to me of how, how he could be so involved in himself and so proud of what he, he had done. How is that possible that he had done all those things, that he could have this type of attitude, such great joy and boldness when he met Samuel. Well, the answer is because of his pride. 
That's the bottom line to it. Saul had deceived himself into thinking that he had done what the Lord had commanded, and that's exactly what pride does in a person's life. Cause you to think one thing, when in reality you've done another thing. Now pride, what it does, it creates blind spots in our life. It creates blind spots. You know, whenever you're taught to drive, you know, you've got your rear view mirror and you've got your side view mirror. And when they teach you to drive, they, they don't tell you to rely on those two mirrors alone or those three mirrors, but you've got a blind spot that you need to check. And so you look over your left shoulder, you look over your right shoulder to see if there's any cars in either lane before you change into another lane. And you check that just to make sure that you don't run someone off the road or cause an accident. Now, even though we don't see something in our blind spot, doesn't mean that there is nothing there because there could very well be something there in our blind spot without us even seeing it. That's why we have to check it. Now, when you look at Saul's situation, his pride had led him to think that he had been following God's command and had blinded him from the disobedience that he had done. And Samuel could clearly see the very sin and the very thing that Saul had performed. And actually, Samuel was the one who had pointed out to Saul what that blind spot was. And sometimes it does take another person to reveal our own blind spots of sin so that we can be aware of them and that we can take care of them, lest we deceive ourselves into thinking that what we're doing is right. When reality might be that we're not doing all that God is commanding for us to do. Now, when Samuel had, received, uh, had revealed Saul's blind spot by pointing out the sheep and by pointing out the auction, Saul, he, he, Saul he, he, what he does is resorts to excuses and not really owning up to his own disobedience against God. In fact, he first blamed the people by stating that they're the ones who brought back the sheep. They're the ones who brought back the oxen. They're the ones who wanted to keep the best of the livestock. It was their fault. But secondly, what he also did was include himself by stating he and the people, they were obedient in utterly destroying the Amalekites. And thirdly, he tried to justify, justify in what they had brought back was saying that they were the best. They were the best of what we could find. But then fourthly, he goes on further by saying that they kept the best of the sheep and the oxen for a spiritual reason. And that spiritual reason was to give a sacrifice to God because of them being victorious in their battle against the Amalekites. Now in all this, we see Saul is trying to excuse his sin by passing the buck on to other people and, and also telling half-truths about what had really happened. But the, in his excuses, he reveals the real problem. And the real problem is that he has a poor relationship with God. That's the real problem. He reveals this when he speaks to God to Samuel, or he, he refers to God to Samuel in verse number 15 here by referring to the Lord your God when he was speaking to Samuel. If the Lord was Saul's God, he would have acted differently. But the Lord was Samuel's God and not Saul's. And so Samuel goes on to tell of Saul's consequence for his disobedience. And we'll continue now in verse number 16. It says, Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, 
For you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord, your God in Gilgal. So you see uh, Saul's tone here after being confronted again about what he had actually done. Samuel refers back to when Saul was little in his own eyes. And that means when he was younger. And this is simply a reference to him having a humble heart as compared to the pride that he has in his heart right now after this battle. But from this point, Samuel tells another root of the problem is that this root of the problem was not Saul's disobedience, but it was his pride that had led him to that disobedience. You see, when people view themselves as big in their own eyes, what it does is it makes the Lord small in their lives, in their eyes, and leaves little room for him to rule in their heart. That's what it does. And that was the root of Saul's problem. Saul was so engrossed in this deception that he claimed the second time that he had obeyed the voice of the Lord and had utterly destroyed the Amalekites. And this is what just floors me. That when he, just the second time when he's telling him, I have done this, I've destroyed all the Amalekites. Yet as he's saying this, there's an Amalekite right there, King Agag, still alive. How is it possible that he utterly destroyed them when an Amalekite is still alive, standing right there? That floors me. And that just goes to the deception that is going on in Saul's mind. Now, to me, it kind of makes sense when you look at the religious world and see how many denominations and beliefs that do exist. Some people have good intentions and are religious in their own right, but when you begin to look at what they profess as faith and compare it to the, world of, to the Word of God, they fall short. They have a blind spot, perhaps to obeying a certain command or abiding by a certain doctrine. And you know, if that's the case, we ought to help them. We ought to help them and, and, uh, and do, uh, help them uh, reveal that blind spot to them. And we're to do so tactfully in a loving manner, in a way that Jesus would, so that perhaps they would know the truth, the light of the gospel. And so that blind spot would not cause damnation to their soul. We have a duty to do that as Christians, as guardians of the truth. But you know, as a side note, before we move on, when Saul kept insisting that he had utterly destroyed the Amalekites, we know that he had spared Agag's life. But further research would have us know that there were other Amalekites that were spared. Because we find that when you read on throughout this book that David had to fight the Amalekites. We also find in the book of Esther, chapter 3, that, that uh, 
that uh, that, uh, there were some that Esther had to fight in Esther chapter 3. But I find it, on top of all these things, it is ironic that at the end of Saul's life, Saul was killed by an Amalekite. Coincidental, uh, Coincidental or providential, I don't know. But it is ironic. Well, take that as it is. Samuel continues after Saul had spoken, and then we, we continue now in verse number 24, or 22 rather. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to, better, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Now Samuel, he really drives the point home. It doesn't matter what sacrifices you make in your life, whether it be hours of service to helping others in need, whether it be the hours that you spend in prayer to God, whether it be the countless times that you come here to worship, whether it be the countless uh, money that you sacrifice to the Lord in your contribution unto the church. None of that really matters. None of it matters if there is no obedience to God's command. Because it's worthless. It's vain. It's better to obey than the sacrifice. God wants us to surrender our hearts through our obedience unto him. In fact, that's the kind of sacrifice that he's looking for in us. In fact, David wrote such a thing about the sacrifice of our own heart as he writes over in the 51st Psalm. And he says there, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And David had it right. But also Paul wrote about a similar thing about our bodies surrendering to the Lord's service for obedience as he writes over in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1 where it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. But you know, so we see this sacrifice that is to come from our own lives. We sacrifice our lives to him so that we can obey him. But building upon this principle, Samuel told Saul that, that, that he was rebellious and he was stubborn against God's command. And he said, that's just as bad as witchcraft. That's just as bad as idolatry. Now, isn't it interesting that Saul thought he was so religious and he was so obedient to God's command? Yet in God's eyes, he was rebellious and stubborn against his command. Isn't it ironic, isn't it? And that shows me I better be careful because I don't want to be rebellious against God's command or stubborn to his will. 
And I need to have the right heart in my command unto him. I need to have the right heart. And Saul lacked that. And so from Saul's sin, the consequence of it all is that God is going to reject him as king and put a new king in place over Israel. Now this really cut to Saul's heart, and so he began to plead with Samuel to try to make things right. And so <clears throat> we see here in verse number 24, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may worship with, with the Lord. Now notice what Saul does here. I mean, he begins by stating he had sinned, but then he again tries to pass the blame off to, unto the other people because they're the ones who had this idea of bringing the livestock back. And so again, Saul refuses to own up to his own sin. He tried to justify one sin with another. And with that kind of an attitude, there is no repentance that is shown. There is none. God knew this. And also, he knew Saul's heart. He not only knew it was rebellious and stubborn, but Saul's heart had been settled in that condition that he was not going to repent of what he had done. And with such an attitude like that to be settled in, a, in that state, a simple, a simple statement as, sorry, please forgive me, isn't going to do it because it's empty, it's vain, because there is no change of heart behind a statement like that. There is no repentance shown in a statement like that. God is looking for a changed heart. After all, that's what repentance is all about. It's the attitude that I am sorry for what I've done and I am not going to do that anymore. That's what God is looking for when we repent. Well, after this pitiful plea, Samuel told Saul he wasn't going to return with him simply because he had rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord had rejected him as king. And in a final attempt, Saul had actually reached out and grabbed Samuel's garment and, and had it torn. But Samuel kept on going. Now the reason why uh, Saul wanted Samuel to come with him is to perhaps justify himself and worship with him. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you think even after Saul would worship God, do you think even that would have changed anything? Well, my answer is no. And the reason why I answer no is because his heart wasn't changed. What would be the point of worshiping God if you don't have the right heart? There would be no. There would be no true worship. It would be vain and it would be empty. But as the story closes, we find that Samuel finishes what Saul should have carried out. And we find here, as I may summarize what is, what is reflected here in verses 32 through 35, that Samuel commanded Agag to be brought to him, and there he killed it, King Agag. And thus he fulfilled God's command. It was God's plan to bring this punishment upon the Amalekites because of what they had done to his people. And Samuel saw it fit to finish what God had intended right from the start. Now the Bible tells us at the close of the story that this would be the last time that Samuel would see Saul before uh, Saul's death. Yet we find here and is written that Samuel mourned for Saul. And I think that speaks loudly. 
because his heart was not was it wasn't cold towards Saul and his sin, but he really cared for the soul of Saul. And I believe that we can learn from that. Because there are those who have turned their lives from God. But that doesn't mean we give up on them. That doesn't mean that we forget them. But we keep them in our minds. Perhaps we do mourn for them. But we also pray for them too. Just hoping that maybe they would change their lives before it's too late. And you never know with a person for they are the ultimate decision maker for their own lives but we just don't give up on them we just don't and Samuel always remembered Saul well as we reflect upon this part of Saul's life let us keep in mind that we are prone to our spiritual blindness as well we cannot let our self-will and our pride get in the way of God's commands. For when we, 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 when we become big in our own eyes, God becomes little and he becomes insignificant in our own lives. And I'm reminded of what John wrote concerning our pride and our sin when he said, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And oh, how we want the forgiveness of sins, don't we? We have such a merciful Father, and we're so thankful that he does forgive us of our sins. We're so thankful. But never let it get to a point in our lives that we become so proud that we think that we don't sin. Never let it come to that point of your life because we will end up deceiving ourselves and we might lose our soul over that. Let us learn the lesson from Saul to always have the right heart and always be obedient to God's word no matter how easy Oh, how hard it might be, but to praise his name as we live for him every day. There might be one here this morning who has never, never taken advantage of being God's servant. Maybe they, you've never obeyed the gospel and become a member of God's church. You can do so today by believing in what Jesus did for you. He died for you, and he was buried and was resurrected on the third day. You must believe that and what he did for you and that you must repent of your life. We talked about that, making a change in your life that you're going to do God's will and then confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and then be baptized for the remission of your sins. We find those people in Acts chapter 2 did just that. And after they, after they had done that, they were added to the church and so can you if you're obedient to the gospel to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. 
please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.